and welcome to Bury the Lead. I'm one of your co-hosts, Winnipeg Free Press columnist Jen Zaratti. I'm your other co-host, Winnipeg Free Press music reporter Erin Labar. Welcome to the show. We're going to be talking about arts and culture a lot yeah. today. Also, that is our beat. My arm is stuck in this really squeaky chair. <laughs> it is really stuck in there. <laughs> and I'm scared to move it because it's going to make a really loud noise. I feel like you should just do it now. Oh, okay. wasn't so bad. Ah. <laughs> nice. Pleasant surprise. Yes, the big red Defoe chair. Squeakmeister extraordinaire. <laughs> that would be my rap name. <laughs> Squeakmeister extraordinaire. Yeah. SME. <laughs> you need a lul in there. No, I'm not lul. Nothing about me is lul. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about uh, the arts and uh, economic impact report that the Winnipeg Arts Council put out. It's very interesting. Yes, even though I made it sound very boring. It's it's <laughs> very interesting um, because it, it revealed a bit of a strange disconnect between uh, belief and behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also going to talk about the Weinstein verdict, which was Obst. handed down this week, obviously, <laughs> um, and why it was so shocking to women everywhere. And uh, what else are we talking about? Oh, I'm going to go deep on Love is Blind and reading, watching, and listening. So prepare yourselves. Spoilers, ahoy. First, though, how was your week? This week has felt literally a million days long. I know. And normally when I get to Friday... I look back at the week and think, oh, no, that wasn't so bad. Like, it's it's Friday now. It, it actually went by pretty fast. No, this week, I don't even remember what happened on Monday because it felt like a year I know. ago. And usually, because of the work that we do and the job that we're in, I never feel that way. I always feel like the week disappears. Like, yeah. even though it's super busy and it, it just it flies by. And then maybe that's why. This week was also super busy. But like I was literally offended on Wednesday when it was only Wednesday. Yeah. It's one of those weeks where like I look at the clock at one and mm-hmm. then it seems four hours have passed by and I look at the clock again and it's one nineteen, And I'm like, <laughs> what <laughs> has happened? Has time stopped? I know. Is it like when your clock is running out of batteries and it's going way slower than usual? It's really strange. Although Maybe my I'm... internal clock is running out of batteries. Although I'm finding that the that's true of nighttime as well. So like I've been kind of fighting something off this week and I've been waking up a lot at night and I've been finding that it's also doing the same thing at night where it's like I'll wake up at three and then I'll wake up again and it'll only be (laughs) three ten. Exactly. And you're like, oh my God, so much night is left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But this week we're both very like artsy, artsy cultured ladies. We're arts people this week. Yeah. We both went to see our colleague Francis Everyone calls her Frances Konchan, but I know her as Frances Konchan because she's half Slovenian as I am. And there's a little accent over the C. So it should be a ch, but like English speakers have difficulties with that. So everyone calls her Frances Konchan, but I say Frances Konchan. We went to see her play uh, Women of the Fur Trade at MTC Warehouse, Mm -hmm. Tom Henry Warehouse. It was really funny. It was really good. I yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. It was hilarious. I also enjoyed it a lot. Um, uh, Jill's quote on the marquee, very, very funny. Accurate. Accurate. Yes, <laughs> it is. Uh, so, yeah. So, um, it's from the perspective of three women of the fur trade, obviously, a uh, settler, a Métis woman, and an indigenous woman. But they use modern language and a lot of like modern pop culture references. Yeah. So, that's what also makes it very, very funny. Yes. Um 
it's also really smart it's just mm-hmm. a really smart way to get at issues of land and who owns it Colonial. and colonialism and like you know all that all those things that we should be talking about every single day exactly and it does so in a really interesting way so if you are in winnipeg go see it it's at the warehouse mm-hmm. um you also saw begonia yeah so a would, massive run of shows yeah so for Begon- 25 shows at <laughs> yeah begonia has five sold out shows at the west end cultural center she did two last weekend and then this weekend it's thursday friday saturday so i went last night which was thursday night like holy hell that lady just gets better every time i see her and uh i took my husband and he's never seen her live before and he's like he likes he'll go to stuff with me like he likes plays and stuff but i don't know that he would go see her on his own if i didn't take him you know Mm -hmm. and even he was like damn like that is (laughs) that is some good stuff um and she's just so personable on stage and so funny and uh she'll you know be joking around and all of a sudden just like drop this like bomb of a note and you're just she's so good it's just unbelievable and i'm very happy for her five sold out shows is a precedent for for the west end Mm -hmm. and i think i don't know the exact capacity when it's standing room but i think it's near the 300 mark i think maybe even slightly more maybe i always thought it was closer to 400 so standing. even still, even if you're you're ballparking conservatively mm-hmm. at 300 people mm-hmm. per show for five shows, that's the BERT. Like, you could sell out the BERT for that. Absolutely. So congratulations to Alexa. We're supposed to be unbiased, but I think she deserves all the uh, all the good things that are coming for her. I agree. Um, speaking of arts and culture as well, um, I saw Ming Han's show at PTE. It's part of their Leap series, which is a features more experimental theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the one um, that everyone was kind of... A buzz. A buzz about because <laughs> it was a commentary on pornography and like how we sort of experience sexuality now in with technology and everything we have access to. It was really interesting and it was funnier than I was expecting it to be. Mm. Like you'll have a hard time looking at a banana the same way ever again if you saw <laughs> that show. Um, but I thought Jill Wilson's review um, was spot on. Uh, and yeah. Jill Wilson's reviews are always spot on those. That's nothing new. Hip hip hooray. Harvey Weinstein's going to jail. I can't. I was, well, as you know, Monday morning, approximately 700 years ago, (laughs) um, I was refreshing Twitter because a tweet caught my eye. You know, it's like breaking news all the time. But it was like, there's a verdict in the Weinstein trial. Right. And I was like, oh my God. And you, it was funny because we had the same reaction of like, yay, finally a verdict. Yeah. But you were like, man, that took them a while. And I'm like, man, they got to that fast. Like, <laughs> I thought they were going to be deliberating for weeks, weeks yeah. and weeks and weeks. I, so I have, I have, I have thoughts about this. Mm. Um, I felt it was a long time in that the answer seemed obvious to me sure you know like I I figured consensus on this one would be pretty easy to get to so the fact that it was like a multi-day discussion was Mm -hmm. surprising what was more surprising though was that it was two guilty verdicts I was not expecting that at all I was bracing for acquittal big time yeah me too uh you know just thinking about how the Gian Gomeshi trial went down and obviously Mm -hmm. it's a different trial but what I found interesting about the Weinstein trial is that the defense used a lot of the same sort of rape culture myth playbook that Marie Heinen used. Right, which is Gomeshi's so, lawyer. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and a female lawyer again in this case too, really pointing to behavior 
of victims really pointing to um you know the flirtatious emails the fact that some of them had relationships and kept it in contact right and uh the reporters at the New York Times who broke the story, they pointed out that a lot of times these kinds of trials don't go to trial because they're too messy and they're too, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. The fact that they actually were willing, that the prosecution was willing to take this on and the way that they did it, Mm -hmm. it was actually so, I think that's what made it such a landmark ruling. It wasn't only that it was a guilty ruling, but the fact that they actually pursued it and recognized that, yeah, rape victims don't act perfectly and they don't act in the ways that people quote expect them to Mm -hmm. um you know the fact that the jury clearly didn't wasn't persuaded by those kinds of arguments yeah that to me suggests a tonal shift yeah Mm -hmm. and possibly a big one Mm -hmm. um so hopefully this isn't a one-off and and i mean you think about everything going on now too with the peter nygaard case oh man yeah that's a whole other kettle of fish seeing that justice is possible when so many times it has seemed like a reach i think was what made it really interesting of course it wasn't perfect i mean he was acquitted of the two right. big charges like the ones uh involving predation yes um but he whether it's for five years or 29 years that's kind of where the sentencing will lie right so he's either way he's going to jail for a period of time i am very interested to see how this will impact because i'm, I'm pretty sure he has to go to trial in the uk also and i think there's and california, and california yeah. as well so i'd be interested to see if and how this verdict impacts those trials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be, this isn't over yet. No. So even if he only gets five years in this ca- yeah. this trial, he could potentially get more time from the other yeah. other places. So as long as sentencing isn't a total joke, yeah, there could be some actual justice mm-hmm. served here. Who'd have thunk? I, know, I was honestly, <laughs> well, you were, I was like, yeah. guilty. <laughs> in the middle of the newsroom. But it was yeah. shocking. It was. I, I was honestly expecting to be disappointed yeah again i had a half column written in my head (laughs) about like oh my god of Mm. course um so yeah so big big week news wise yeah um a little bit more closer to home uh winnipeg arts council released their economic impact study they've released three over the last 15 years and Mm -hmm. usually do it around budget time and municipal budget in winnipeg happens i think like next week yeah soon very soon um so yeah, so it just looks at the economic impact of the arts. What which they is, looked at for the first time with their probe survey was attitudes towards so social impact. Which is the most interesting part of the whole thing. Yeah, so like the numbers were so a high participation. What I thought was really interesting that, you know, attendance at cultural events was the same in every neighborhood pretty much. That's the thing that I loved mm-hmm. to see is that it's, even though the perception of like, arts and culture with yeah it can be so the perception of it is like it's only for rich people or people that have yeah. money but there's so many things that fall under that umbrella that are free and that are super accessible for anybody exactly and it makes me so happy to know that people are taking advantage of that yeah and like, like getting out there totally whether you live downtown because that's another thing i think people think that um if you live in the quote artsy communities so if you live in like bolsley i would argue river heights if you you know and the yeah. affluent areas yeah or like the downtown areas where there is a higher concentration of actual artists yeah but the suburbs were also very high getting in there what i found very interesting is that despite all these behaviors and attitudes despite the fact that the average winnipeg parent spends you know nine hundred dollars on 
some sort of arts and culture <coughs> lessons. Is that what it was? Yeah. Holy moly. Um, yeah. I could believe that having taken piano lessons for mm. ever and ever. Um, like 52% of Winnipeggers say that they are not, quote, an arts person. I think I think a lot of that has to come, again, with that stigma of what it means to be an arts totally. person. Totally. They think the people who don't classify themselves as arts people feel that they're not because they don't live in a loft in the exchange and paint with their toes and, and like, like wear funky jewelry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like wear statement jewelry. Yeah. But like I was, I was having this conversation with my husband yesterday Yeah, and he's like, I'm probably the least artsy person in this room here. I'm like, why would you say that? Yeah. We go to shows all the time. We go to plays all the time. Exactly. We're out and about seeing bands and theater and ballet. Yeah. And why would you classify yourself as not an arty person when exactly. we spend so much time doing that? Totally. Yeah. And 30% of people thought that the arts were for wealthy elites, mm-hmm. which I also thought was interesting. Yeah. And I think, and I wrote an editorial about this, but I, I think what is, why it's really good that the Arts Council looked at um, sort of social impact mm-hmm. is that a lot of the work that the Arts Council does is to make art accessible. Mm-hmm. So that's actually how you get rid of that stigma is actually making it super accessible. And that's why it's worth the city's time to invest in it because mm-hmm. you can't make arts people if your art isn't accessible. Right. And also I feel like some of the stuff that is free, just like in general, like the free public art at the forks mm-hmm. and like people don't necessarily consider viewing that as viewing yeah. art for whatever reason, like the disconnect. There's a weird disconnect there. Yeah. But, but like, like you're standing there looking at this sculpture, yeah. reading a plaque about it, you're participating in the arts right now. Yeah. Are you Instagramming like cool murals? Congratulations. You're, yeah. you're an arts person. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah. So also a good reminder too, if you're looking for free opportunities to engage with the arts that um, the second Sunday of every month at the WAG is free. Mm-hmm. Um, there's tons of programming all the time. Yep. So you don't, it's also you to be an arts person. You also don't need to spend a ton of money no. to engage with it. No. Um, so yeah, so I mean, you certainly can if you want to. You definitely you can. can blow a lot of money on concerts oh, yeah. in this city. I'll tell you that for free. You can become a <laughs> you can become a patron of the arts. A patron, um, yeah. but yeah, it. Uh, I just thought that was really interesting, especially because yeah. we talk all the time about how Winnipeg is an arts and culture hub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and like eighty five percent of respondents were like, arts are either somewhat to very important, but that important echelon. Yes. But no, I'm not an arts person. But I'm wondering also, too, if people feel like they can't be classified as two different things. So if they're like mm. a huge Jets fan, yeah. they're like maybe they feel they can't all be classified as number one Jets fan, but also number one arts fan. You yeah. Know? Like maybe there's there's this feeling like you have to be one or the other. I think there's also, um, I think it's a great point to bring up sports, too, because I think sports are often held up as the great unifier, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in a championship scenario, mm-hmm. which um but jen produces the sports podcast now yes. so she knows about sports i'm very things. knowledgeable about <laughs> sports things now um it seems like jen thinks we're not going to make it to the playoffs <laughs> and i think that because mike mcintyre thinks that um <laughs> but it, it that is always held up as like the unifier like yeah. that's what makes us canadians is to be hockey fans and that's what creates community and that we're all in this and like the whiteout parties we're all involved arts does that too but for whatever reason it's not it's on this that way yeah yeah. it's on this level and i think there are real barriers to art but i think you know all those artists and programs and things that are worth investing in that are trying to make art accessible to everyone that's why they're so important i would argue there's huge barriers to sport too though absolutely like Like, have you ever seen the price of registering a kid in hockey for a year well that's right yeesh yeah 
Like you can play your pickup in the community center parking lot, but like yeah. there are certainly barriers everywhere. But um, I think it's great how much stuff is, is accessible right now if people take the time to look for it. We're going to do reading, watching, listening. And Jen's already laughing. I am already laughing. Okay. I, my love is pure for your love of reality television. Reality television. And you know, like, I don't even really know when this started. I guess maybe because reality television was created in when I was maybe 10. Yeah. Like around the time yeah. Survivor happened. I was like 11. So that yeah. was like prime... I grew up with this, right? Like it's ingrained into me. So we've had 20 years. Essentially. I mean, I'm sure there was other stuff before Survivor, but like, but I feel like I think that's sort of like the point in the timeline that people right. are like, this is when reality TV, as we know yes. it now, started. Absolutely. Yeah. So Which was 2000. 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I, <laughs> I and now was, Netflix is in the <laughs> now game. Netflix is in the game and man are they killing it? <laughs> Holy moly! So I've already done my spiel on the circle, yes. which I really enjoyed. Um, and then this past weekend, I was like, you know, I've been getting a lot of ads for this Love Is Blind show. Seems real <laughs> stupid, but that's my jam. So yeah. like, I'm gonna just if anyone's gonna love it, I'm gonna love it. So I hit the first episode. Within 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, baby, I'm in. in." (laughs) So the premise, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So there's like a group of single ladies, Mm -hmm. group of single guys Mm -hmm. in separate. I'm pretty sure they may have used the same apartment as the circle complex just to like, and then rejuged it to make it. Perfect. Yeah. I'm fairly certain. (laughs) Hey, it's a climate crisis. I appreciate the ingenuity. Yeah. So the men and women are segregated. um, And then they go into these rooms called the pod. But they're still alone. So there's like one woman in her pod and one man in his pod. Okay. And it's like a, just like a living room set up. And then they can talk to each other through a wall, but they cannot see each other. Okay. So I'm not exactly sure. It wasn't made explicitly clear how long the women and men get to talk to each other. But I think the first date is like eight or ten minutes or something. Do you have to be in the pod all the time? No. Okay. So you just go into a pod to have your date. And then oh, I see. when you're not in the pod, you're like in the common area with the other women. I was going to say, if you had to be in your pod at all times. That's no. Just I, I'm, again, and it's also love not. Love is Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. It's also <laughs> not made clear how you know if someone that you want to talk to is in their pod and like how you, that mm. those kind of logistics are not really made super clear. Anyway, the men and women start to chat. Um, and then the premise of the show is they have, I believe it was 10 days or two weeks to get to know each other through the wall Mm -hmm. and if they want to continue with the relationship outside of the pod they have to get engaged without seeing each other hence the love is blind situation so at any point within the first 10 days or two weeks if you feel like you want to get engaged to this person the either one can propose to the other one so it's kind of like arranged marriage yes but you have met Mm -hmm. and you have talked and gotten to gotten to know each other and the best part is the hosts of the show are nick lachey and his wife and they literally pop up once every three episodes to be like (laughs) is love truly blind i hope you'll prove it let's find out and then they just leave and then they never come back and you're like okay (laughs) (laughs) so weird so some couples did get engaged some very very quickly and then the proposal happens and then a day goes by and then they meet in person. Uh-huh. So they see each other. So the proposal is also blind. The proposal is also blind. Okay. So then they meet each other and then at, at any point they can rescind the proposal. They can okay. they can call it off. But 
the the sort of phase phase of events is they they get engaged they go to mexico for like a pre honeymoon i guess um to like get to know each other and then they move in with each other all the couples are from the same city they're from atlanta so they get back to atlanta they move in together <laughs> that's weird <laughs> well no because if they have to move in together they have to all be based in the same city yeah but like why atlanta why not okay <laughs> <laughs> it's a big it's a metro, metro metropolitan area it's a big spot. So anyway, they live together. Yeah. And then this all happens within a span of four weeks. And at the end of four weeks, they get married. Wow. Yeah. And then they they either, they, they can still, even at the wedding, obviously not go through it if they if they don't right. want to. So within a span of, I think, a total of five weeks, they can meet. You, do you win? How do you, like. No, you don't, you win, you get married. That's okay. the win. Yeah. <laughs> questionable yes yes <laughs> so <laughs> so you just kind of get to know these couples and there and there's a few very like interesting characters and what if people are vying for the same person that did happen Ooh. there was a love triangle with drunk jessica and um amber and this guy named barnett is she the one who fed her dog wine yes <laughs> so this woman jessica claims to be 34 years old and like, no, I feel ju- like I could have done a decent pop culture blind spot on the show. Yeah, you probably could. Have. Everyone is talking about. You probably it. could. Uh, she claims to be thirty-four years old, and like, no judges, but that is not a thirty-four-year-old woman. It's just not like she's, I'm a thirty-four-year-old woman. She, and I would be shocked if that was her real age. Yeah, she, she, I would say she's probably closer to forty. And she she also seems very concerned about the age gap. Oh my gosh! So she falls in love with a tw- falls in love, quote unquote with a 24-year-old guy named Mark. Mm-hmm. So then she's also talking to Barnett, who's a little bit older. I think he's 29. And he's like a scientist of some kind or an engineer. And that's a last name. but continue. It is. Yeah, his first name's Matt, but everyone calls him Barnett. Um, and, and so Jessica is into Barnett. She's into Mark. Barnett is into Jessica and into Amber. Ooh. So then Barnett's chatting away to Jessica in the pod. And he's saying, like, I would marry you right now, blah, blah, blah. And so Jessica gets all a flutter, breaks things off with Mark. Mark is shattered, like crying, heartbroken. Oh, no. So then Jessica comes back to Barnett the next day after Barnett has had a conversation with Amber in the interim. Jessica's like, do you feel the same way about me today as you did literally 12 hours ago? And he's like, no. (laughs) So he dumps (laughs) Jessica. What? To get with to be with Amber, and so then Jessica's like on the edge. Oh my! And so God. she goes back to Mark, apologizes, and was like, "I still love you. I don't know what I was thinking." And he took her back, and they got engaged. Oh my goodness! And then Barnett and Amber got engaged. This so wow. so and so then Jessica, when they meet in real life, yeah, Jessica's very unsure of her relationship with Mark. Obviously, he was second fiddle. You know, just she's desperate to get married and have kids, and and she would kind of just he seems like a sweet guy, but not a good match for her. Um, and so she gets, she just gets drunk at every <laughs> I mean, episode. I mean, they're all randos. Yeah. So. so she gets drunk at every episode, basically. Yeah. And is like going up to Barnett, who she does not know. Like she's known for a week. I just want to make sure that you're happy. It's all I'm, all I care about is that you're happy and that you made the right decision. Oh my goodness. And she's just like hammered. And she has this crazy vocal fry. It's like, Barnett, I just want to make sure that you're happy with Amber. Like it's just, it's Ooh. nuts. So anyway, I'm not going to spoil who got, I can tell you after if you want to know who got married and who yeah. called it wow. off. Wow. But it's, it is something. I, just when you think they've run out of sociological experiments to do. Yeah. Example. Although I will say it was disappointing to me 
that everyone was so conventionally attractive. Mm. Like I felt like the barrier of physical attraction or like the, the chance of that not happening was so low right. that that kind of like made the point moot. You and, know? It's, and it's all hetero couples, right? They're all hetero couples. Yeah. yeah that was the other thing too. Um, I'm not sure how that would, how that would play out in terms of like, yeah, like where people live and like how they segregate themselves. Yeah. But like, yeah, I feel like they're going to have to, there are, there were some interracial matches, which was good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I felt like everyone was just so like Americanly attractive, like conventionally yeah. square jawed and like beautiful, tiny frames and dark yeah. hair and and like perfect teeth, <laughs> you know? And like, like I find like, any of those people I would, I think would be attractive to 98% of the population you know the giggle yeah, I do. you know oh dear yeah so i i the, what i was hoping for was for the curtain to raise and for someone to be like oh no <laughs> but that, there's no way that would happen because no. everyone was beautiful yeah yeah but yeah there were um love may be blind but it's also shallow it's also shallow and there were some like issues when it came to like like making the relationships physical in any way either mm-hmm. that's like any form of intimacy really and um some couples just couldn't couldn't they couldn't replicate the feelings that they had right. in the pod as a physical relationship right which was a struggle that i was not anticipating for a mm. lot of them but yeah it was it's it is interesting that is interesting and it's 10 episodes and they just released they were releasing them weekly and they released the last one thursday yesterday so now you can oh i'm caught up i watched it but now people if they haven't watched you can it, you can binge the whole thing yeah it. cool um complete (laughs) end rant watch it it's great uh what am i oh so i was off last week Mm -hmm. so i got caught up on all kinds of culture related items um including watching both fleabag which i know you've seen yeah enjoyed did you enjoy it? i did i loved it very much olivia coleman for oh she is just so versatile i know i just love her so much and that little bit of a twist in season one, I was not expecting with how how Boo dies. Uh, oh, that was very good. Yes. Um, I also saw The Morning Show, which is on oh, Apple is that TV. that with the Jennifer Aniston? Yeah, Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> the Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, Reese Witherspoon and Steve Carell, who plays like a disgraced, it's a very Me Too timely mm. show. Um, Steve Carell and Jennifer Aniston have been hosting The Morning Show for 15 years, and she wakes up one day and finds out that there's been a sexual misconduct scandal with him that she has to weather, um, and ends up through a bunch of, like, you know, twists and turns co-hosting with Reese Witherspoon, who is this very, like, ballsy reporter. Oh, okay. And uh, it's... I had pretty low expectations for it just because I've found overall that every show that's attempted to do a Me Too storyline has kind of, it's been middling to bad. Like, right. I, it's so good. Oh. It's so good. Sorry, what um, network is it? It's on Apple TV. Oh, okay. So the only reason I saw it is because my in-laws have Apple TV. So oh, okay. Like, oh, I have access to the show. Um, it's great. Like, it's it really gets into, what I really appreciated about it is that it really gets into the nuances of like, well, what if I am consenting to this and what's an inappropriate relationship and when does this become abuse and sort of the mentor-mentee problem and the long-term co-host and, like, what's Jennifer Aniston's role as a woman with lots of power as well? Mm -hmm. And, like, it really gets into all of that 
in a way that's still very entertaining and engaging. Mm-hmm. And I know that I'm into a show when I don't look at my phone at the same time. So. Right. So it's kind yeah. of like a Matt Lauer GMA situation. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, very good. Uh, and Fleabag also was excellent. Yes. So. Uh, you can find everything that we've written at winnipegfreepress.com. You can also follow us on social media. I'm at Jen Zerati on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Naya Rebel on Twitter and Instagram. And we will see you. We're off next week. Oh, yeah, we're off next week because I'm off for the week after. We will see you the week after next. 